In 2005, our family moved up to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to go to seminary. We bought a two-bedroom, one-bath little house on a row along a, a, a street, and everyone had a little backyard, and it was very common there for people to grow a vegetable garden in their backyard, but the house we bought was from a man who had long since raised his children, and, and they were grown, and he had passed away, and they were now selling the house to us, so it hadn't turned over very much, and in the backyard, um, it was all grassed over, but there was a spot where the yard dipped down and went back to the bushes, and there was, it was maybe, I don't know, 20 feet by eight feet. It was like a I could tell where his garden used to be. So I dug up the grass that was over it, and I decided I'm going to grow salsa. I wanted to grow tomatoes, jalapenos, cilantro, onions, everything you need, and then I'm going to pick it fresh, and the kids and I are going to make our own homegrown salsa. And I discovered that soil was black gold. It had been fallow for so long. It was nutrient-rich. It was literally black. And anything you threw in there grew incredibly well. Uh, the first summer, I grew salsa. The second summer, I added in pumpkins, sunflowers. and just. I, but we were only there two summers. But one of the things that happened was the cilantro, which I like to have fresh, grew really fast. And then it went to seed. And so what I started doing was I sowed a whole lot of that, and I sowed it like every other week. I was putting it in so it would keep coming fresh, and then I would let, when it went to seed, I would just keep scattering it, scattering it. I wish that I could have seen that yard the third summer, but we moved down here in January. I sold the house to an unsuspecting young couple, and he probably thought, oh my goodness, this yard is, they, they don't have grass, they have cilantro. It was just amazing. And that's, there's a principle here, right? Um, the principle that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians is whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. It also picks up a couple of important things too. If you want to sow, uh, if you want to reap a certain type of a thing, you sow that type of seed. If you want to get cilantro, you don't plant basil. You definitely don't plant an acorn. You're not going to get the right thing. If I take an acorn and stick it in the ground and expect corn, just because it has corn in the name, I'm not going to get corn because it's an acorn. I'm going to get an oak tree, and it's going to take a long time, right? And then the other part of this is not only do we sow the right kind of seed, and not only do we sow it bountifully, but we sow it in the right soil. It was good soil. It was fertile, and it took now, this morning, obviously, I'm going to talk to you about sowing and reaping. And I don't have a memory verse for you. you get, it's, a, it's an easy week in that regard. And that's because when I planned the series, I got to chapter 6 and stopped last week. But then I, as I was studying, I went, well, last week was on bearing one another's burdens. And I've skipped the whole principle of sowing and reaping. We're going to do one more in Galatians. So this is a bonus sermon. One extra in the series, no memory verse. I don't even know if we don't even have the slide up there for the keep in step with the Spirit. That's okay. But we're going to talk about this, this spiritual principle of reaping and sowing. The Apostle Paul, at this point, six chapters of this letter, he has talked about the grace of God. He has fought against works righteousness and trying to earn, earn our salvation. He's talked about being free in Christ. And now at the very last chapter, he's basically saying, what are you going to do with the grace of God? Freely you have been saved. What are you going to do with it? Somebody once said this, although no one is saved by works, no one is saved without them either. Saving faith always brings forth works. The works don't save you, but saving faith will, if it's saving faith, it always is accompanied by works. Or as someone else once put it, we're saved by grace alone, but not by grace that remains alone. It then brings forth works. So I'm 
I'm cautious, though, as I tell you to sow to the kingdom of God, that you don't misunderstand that I'm saying, save yourself. It doesn't work like that. But once you have come to know the Lord, you're set free. And Paul wants you to use your freedom to sow into the kingdom of God. And I think spiritual sowing is far more mundane and physical than we would realize. God's kingdom is all around us. It is in our midst. It is breaking in constantly. And many people can't see it at all. And the kingdom of God is not coming in, in these weird mystical ways. It's coming in very ordinary ways. And the kingdom of God is wherever his rule and reign are recognized. And that has to do with hearts. It has to do with people recognizing this is God's place. This is God's world. He is here. We serve him. I liked how that psalm talked about all you other gods worship him. Everything bow down to God, the God, right? It's his world and his, his, his kingdom is breaking into it. And here's, a, here's an example of the sort of mundaneness of the kingdom of God. The Alpha Course is a, basically a dinner and a movie. We go and we have a dinner, set up nicely, we eat some food, we watch a talk on a screen, and we talk about it. And we have a sign, the road sign. You know, we put that sign out there that says, Alpha, got questions. I was in a restaurant here in Fleming Island, and the woman recognized me and said, you're Mike from the church, yeah? Yes. I started thinking, how do you know me? You don't come to my church? And she said, I saw your Alpha sign. I want to come. My husband and I want to come and be leaders for your course. She knew what Alpha was, saw the sign. Simple road sign and it caused her to want to be part of that. It's, it's uh, apparently someone else signed up for the course this time simply by seeing the road sign. My point is this. We decided to put a sign out there. It's a type of sowing. We, we sowed something about the kingdom in a very mundane, simple way, and it's bringing about results. It's far more physical and mundane and ordinary than you might realize. Now, a lot of people make this wrong conclusion in the church. And I I don't mean our church, but I mean the church in general. The thinking of, I'm a sinner, and Jesus loves me and died for me, and if I pray the sinner's prayer, when I die, I go to heaven. While all those things are true, it significantly truncates any sense of redemption and restoration, the idea of God's kingdom coming into your presence now. It's not for later, it's for now. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to belong to a church that participates in the redemption of the world now. Not a church that just withdraws and prays waiting for the day when Christ will come, whenever that day will be, but rather says the kingdom of God is here. The Holy Spirit is real. We have him, his power in us. Let's come. Let's let's come do this kingdom work. Come kingdom of God. We pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done. What are we asking? I want to be part of a church that participates in redemption. Now, here's my main point. God saves us to sow. God saves us to sow. Now, to the Christian in here, to the person who's heard the gospel, you've responded, you've, you've accepted Christ's offer, I want to encourage you to use your freedom wisely. Be like the wise steward in that parable. Be wise in this world. Understand how it works. Understand how the mundane works and how God uses it for spiritual things. And be a wise user of your freedom. To those in here who are seekers, if you're seeking spiritual truth, you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian if asked, but you'd say, I'm open to God. I'm, I'm curious about the things of God. I want to share with you a grand invitation. An invitation into a life that matters way more than you realize. That's way bigger than the things you've pursued in the past. That your life can be about something eternal, 
Leo Tolstoy, the author and the philosopher, got to the point of suicide. And there was one question he writes in his confessions that drove him to the point of suicide. And he had thought long and hard about this, but he said, the question that drove me to, almost to suicide was, is there any meaning in life that my own inevitable death won't destroy? He thought there's nothing he could do in this life that won't be erased as soon as he dies. And then he met Christ and he became a believer and he wrote about that as well. What he found was serving God is an eternal thing. It starts now and it goes on forever. And so this passage of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6 is talking about sowing to the spirit and reaping eternal life or sowing to the flesh and reaping corruption because the flesh is being corrupted. Everything is wearing out, but the spiritual things are not. They're going on forever. So let's turn to Galatians 6, 8. We're just, we're just going to look at uh, uh, actually three verses, six, 7, 8, and 9, and 10, 7 through 10, so four verses. Whoever, reaps, or whoever sows to the flesh will reap corruption. Whoever sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, that eternal life phrase could be talking about salvation. It could be talking about salvation if you've not in any way responded to the gospel. And simply sowing to the Spirit might be saying a prayer and coming under God's lordship, which might for you be salvation. You become a Christian by praying a prayer, accepting Christ, professing faith in him, and asking him to come into your life, which you can do at any time. You can do it right now. You can do it later. But I think Paul is addressing in this passage brothers and sisters in Christ. He uses that term several times. We talked about it last week. He's speaking to the church. And so when he's talking about eternal life here, so I'm in verse uh, 8. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I think he's not speaking about your eternal state. I think he's speaking about bringing heaven into this place here eternal life. Your life starts to have spiritual significance. Everything you are doing is you are sowing into the kingdom of God. You're bringing it in here. If you think on a timeline where um, heaven starts way over there, you are pulling that over to here where you are now so that the kingdom of God breaks into your situations. And you have eyes to recognize that too. So today, really, my topic is kind of about wisdom. And I spent a lot of time in Proverbs this week as I was thinking about wisdom, about how the order that God created works. Because if we're going to sow, like I was saying, if you sow an acorn, you get an oak tree. You don't get corn. You get whatever whatever you want to reap, that's what you sow. So how does God's world work? He's an orderly God. The Genesis account of creation shows that. On certain days, he did certain things, and he set up an orderly world. And generally, he honors the order he puts in place. Occasionally, he does something weird, like walk on water. That's unusual. But it's called a miracle because it's so unusual. It doesn't normally happen. Normally, what happens is you sink if you try to step on water. Gravity and whatever, the physical laws, God honors those things. So the wisdom literature of the Bible is incredibly helpful because the wisdom wisdom literature, I'm talking about Proverbs, um, Ecclesiastes, these such such writings, some some of the Psalms, they look at the world and then make observations. And some of them are, are very simple. Like, for instance, here's, here's two from nature. This is um, Proverbs 6, 27 and 28. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? 
Or can he walk on a hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Here's another one. I particularly like this because I saw a beehive yesterday. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you eat until you are full and vomit it up. <laughs> Proverbs 25, 16, right? That's, there's nothing that's like real mystical about that. Your body will react a certain way. If you decide, I want to start a new fire over there, I'm going to just scoop up that burning log and carry it. We all know what will happen, right? That's just, that's just the way things work. And th those are some nature examples, but think about things like, okay, we're going back to school this week. So I was thinking about students. I was in the orientation at the high school this week. I was walking through the classrooms and all of my high school memories, good and bad, flushed, rushed back into my mind, and I just remembered sitting there taking tests, right? That feeling of anxiety. I also remember those moments where the prayer goes something like this, oh God, I didn't study at all for this biology test. Would you please help me get a good grade? What is he possibly going to do with that prayer? Right? His options are, well, I can just mysteriously, magically, um, miraculously put into your mind understanding of covalent bonding versus ionic bonding. I know that last year because we studied late into the night on that test on biology. <laughs> but it, he either puts that stuff in your head and you've never even seen it before, or maybe he does something like this. The test is so easy, the teacher ought to be reprimanded, or he could intervene and cause uh, the test to be delayed by a day so that you could, you could go and study, right? But he's not going to suddenly give you an A. You reap what you sow. If you study, then you could pray something like, God, you've given me this mind. I've been doing due diligence. Help me to have no anxiety. Help me to have clarity of focus. A prayer like that is more in accordance with his word and his will. A prayer of, God, give me an A for something I didn't study, that, that neglects the principle of sowing and reaping. See where I'm going with that? It's very obvious. Now, what are the tools that we have to sow with? It's not your time, treasure, and talents. There's something even before that. The only things you have to sow with are your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. The only things you have. There's nothing else that you have. Your time, treasure, and talents would fit under your deeds, maybe. You can give your money away, but that's a deed. So your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. Those are the things that you have to sow with. Now, here's some other examples from Proverbs. Here's words. Proverbs 15. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Again, you, you could study the world and come to that observation. The wisdom literature does that. It looks at how the world works and makes observations. When somebody speaks with a quiet voice, when they're being yelled at, I mean, if you're in like customer relations in, out in the marketplace and somebody calls with a complaint and you start raising your voice to talk to them like it's an arms race and then, and then anger gets stirred up. If you speak with a very calm voice as they're yelling at you, it diffuses it, right? You can, you can sow with your words and how you use your words. Or consider deeds. Here's a deeds one. A little slumber, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Proverbs 6.10. If you don't sow, literally at harvest time, there will be no food. You just take a nap during time to sow, harvest time, there will be no, no crop for you. 
and poverty will come upon you. Or people's responses, right? These are, again, deeds. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. If you're in management and you have a lazy employee, it's like smoke to your eyes. You go, oh, he's not doing what I want. Why isn't he doing You know, it's frustrating. So understand that. Or let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. <laughs> this is, that's Proverbs 25, 17. I think you see where I'm going with this. Now, there are some other examples that maybe aren't as obvious to us. Philip Reichen is the president of Wheaton College, and he's written a number of books, and he wrote a commentary on Galatians, and in his commentary, he gives some examples of sowing to the flesh and reaping corruption, and then later shows what it would look like to sow to the Spirit. I'll give you, I'm going to give you four examples. This one is deeds. A young couple in love gets caught up in the passions of the moment. They engage in sexual activity outside of marriage. They experience some pleasure, of course, but they are also sowing the seeds of destruction. After they break up, they discover that they have damaged their capacity for true intimacy. Reap what you sow. Thoughts. A man fantasizes about taking control of his organization. He comes to think of his colleagues as rivals, and he schemes his way past them. But his selfish ambition is sowing the seeds of destruction, not only for others, but also within his own soul. The ambition has created, not friends, but has created rivals in his workplace. Here's words. A woman secretly despises another woman in her church, and from time to time they have petty disagreements. But it is really a matter of personality as much as anything else. With every contemptuous thought and word, she is sowing the seeds of destruction to her own spiritual health and the fellowship of her church. And here's one last one. And I'm going to give you the positive of each of these two. This one is not doing words and not doing deeds. A husband and wife allow resentment to build in their marriage without ever resolving their differences. They too are sowing the seeds of destruction. Year by year, as they drift further and further apart, they reap loneliness, bitterness, and unbelief. Now take those, those four examples and look at what the opposite is. So sowing to the Spirit looks like this. A young couple sows to the Spirit when they preserve the purity of their marriage bed. What do they reap? Intimacy later. The gift that God intended sex to be for marriage. They experience something the rest of the world that has given up on purity doesn't understand. How about the next one? A man sows to the Spirit when he denies his own selfish ambition in order to serve others. Instead of seeing it as, I want to take over the company, he sees it as, we are a team and we're part of an amazing mission. This company's doing great work. I want to see my coworkers as team players. I want them to succeed because if they succeed, the whole thing succeeds and we're all winning. Instead of rivals, he now has teammates. He reaps a team mentality instead of a rival and competition and backstabbing. And you know how these things go in the corporate uh, ladder climbing. Here's the, another one. A woman sows to the Spirit when she is reconciled to her sister in Christ, when she uses her words to bring reconciliation, maybe even understanding. She learns a little bit more about somebody that she had a personality conflict and realizes, wait a minute, I've been resenting this person. She's actually my friend now. Whereas there was division in the fellowship, a friend came out of it. Again, reaping and sowing. And then the last one, a husband and wife sowed to the Spirit when they repent of their selfishness and begin to work together in true spiritual partnership. 
what they learn is that God intends marriage for growth, not just for personal happiness, and that my spouse shows me some things that I actually need to work on in my own character, and I'm going to be humble about that and let my marriage sanctify me. What am I reaping? Character growth and communication in the marriage. You see how this could go on and on? You can tons of examples. We could keep going with it, and I don't think we need to. Verse 7 tells us, whatever one sows, he or she will reap. There's your memory verse. If you want a memory verse, whatever I sow, that's what I'll reap. And then it asks a question. If, I, if, if as I'm saying is true, that your words, your thoughts, and your deeds are the only things you have to work with, the question is, what are you sowing? What are you thinking the most? What have you been saying? What are you doing? And then maybe a second question would be this. What do you want to reap? If you think at the end and go, I want that, then back up and make sure you plant that seed. If you want to end there, start in the right place. Plant that seed here so over there you end with what you want. It's the sowers that determine the harvest, not the reapers. Right? They go out with their tools to reap, but they don't know what, I mean, they didn't get to pick what that, what that plant was going to be. It's the sowers who decide that. So what do I want to reap? Well, that's what I want to sow. The verse says God is not mocked. 1 Corinthians 3.13 talks about how in due time, God is going to test everything that we've sown. He'll test it by fire. And he says, those who've built with precious metals, that will make it through the fire. But if you've built with things that are not of value, they will be all burned up. And he says, you'll be saved. It's not a salvation question. You will be saved if you're a believer. It's just all of your life's works will be utterly useless. They will not be eternal life. It will be this world and it's gone. You'll get in, but with nothing. So he's saying, think, okay, here's my three application. Think about heavenly things. Colossians 3, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Colossians 3, so think heavenly. Someone once said, it's those who thought the most about the next life that did the most in this life. Set your mind on heavenly things. Second, take the long view. At best, this life is a partial harvest. So we sow and the harvest takes a long time and a lot of times we don't get to see it. In ministry, I'm always like, God, let me see some fruit. You know, I wanna see some fruit. And my youth pastor used to say, you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you can't count the number of apples in a seed. You plant the seed, and it might produce a tree, which will produce a whole more app, a bunch of apples. You can't, you don't know. It takes a long time. So take the long view with this. Think about people harvesting, let's say, berries to can them. While they're out there working in the field, and we've all done this, if you see a particularly ripe, plump blackberry, you pluck it off and eat it right there, right? And you're like, oh, that's really sweet. And then you keep going, going to fill up, to can it, to make jam or whatever you're going to make for later. The harvest, you get a bit of it in this life. You do get to see some of what you've sown in this life, but you're going to get to see all of it in the next one. The harvest is later. Take the long view. And then thirdly, and lastly, don't give up. Verse nine says, let us not grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary of it because it takes a long time. God saves us to sow. And sometimes things take a long time to grow. So I'm going to close with this story that I read about uh, something that happened in a Virginia colony. This is before the founding of our country. This is 
a long time ago. A guy named Luke Short was 103 years old when he got saved. And he was sitting um, in the shade, just reflecting on his life, thinking about things, and he recalled a sermon that had been preached. He recalled a sermon by a Puritan preacher named John Flavel, who died in 1691. So that'll give you a basic timeline on this. Um, And as he thought about the sermon, he recognized, I'm a sinner. I I know I don't deserve anything from God. I've gotten 103 years, but I am not anywhere close to the holiness I need to be to be in God's presence. And yet, God loves me so much, he sent his son, and he prays a sinner's prayer right there. He says, I'm a sinner. Jesus, you died for me. I believe that. I want to serve you. He's 103 years old. Gets saved right there, thinking about a sermon. He dies three years later at 106, and the, the tombstone which is why we know about this story, said this, here lies a babe in grace aged three years, but according to nature, aged 106. Now, here's the amazing thing. The sermon was preached 86 years prior to him getting saved. I stand up here as a preacher, and I think, does this do anything? God, you know, and, and I, you know, it's, it's sowing seeds. I know that it does, but we get impatient, Right? Well, I want to hear success. I want to hear fruit. I want to hear tr- life transformation and all that kind of stuff. But don't give up if you don't see it right away. Be patient, not just as a preacher, as anything. Don't give up. Continue to sow good things. In due time, there will be an incredible harvest. That's the principle here. God has set you free to sow. Sow into the spirit, not to the flesh. One is eternal. One reaps corruption. I want to be part of a church that is sowing into the kingdom now, that is starting to bring about the kingdom here. Let's be that kind of a people. Let's pray for that now. Lord, thank you for the freedom you've given us. I pray that you would quicken our hearts to want your things and your ways. Help us to understand how to sow into the Spirit. Father, if there's any sense of guilt or works that is not helpful, I pray that that would pass away. I pray instead you'd give each one of us an excitement about this grand invitation to be part of your work. You humble us by inviting us to join you in sowing. Help us to do it faithfully because you love us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.